power of these parables. Amen? So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke 15, verse 1 through 19. And also, if you don't mind, can you stand in honor of reading of God's word? It's our custom and culture to do so here if you're willing and able. And I love it because this actually opens up giving the context for the scripture because we believe that there's power when you understand the context as well. And it says this in Luke 15, verse 1 through 19. It says this tax collector, somebody say tax collectors, and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Pause right here just for a second. Isn't it interesting how they have tax collectors right next to notorious sinners? And if you do a study, you'll discover this, that tax collectors back then weren't too popular. probably still aren't popular today. (laughs) But especially back then within the nation of Israel, because many tax collectors during that time, there were Jewish people that worked for the nation of Rome that had oppressed the, the people of Israel, the empire, right? The empire of Rome was oppressing the people, and they would use these tax collectors to go and collect the taxes from the people. But many times what would begin to happen is these tax collectors begin to pocket and extort and steal money from the people and pocket it for themselves. So they were shunned and despised and looked down upon. And it says this, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the law complain, a religious law complain, that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further. Notice, three stories, same point. Jesus told them this, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry, think about this, imagine this, so hungry that even the pots, the slop, the muck, right, that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, oh, come on, has anybody ever had to come to Jesus moment in their life? He came to his senses and said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. I think this is a good spot to stop right here because there's so much more to this as well. But I think this is a good place to stop and start. 
So in these parables, we find this, a lost sheep, a lost silver coin, and a lost son, and an owner and a caretaker that deeply desires to reconcile and restore them that are lost. We're talking about the lost parables. Can somebody say the lost parables? Let's pray together right now in this moment. God, we welcome you into this place. We know that you are moving right now, that you are in our midst, that your word says where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are right there in the middle, God. So we thank you, Lord. This is all about you. We give you the praise, the honor, the recognition in advance, God. You are a good God. We prepare the soul of our heart to receive the word today, God. Speak, have your way. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing today. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord, for the anointing. And somebody said amen, amen, amen. Come on, go ahead and give Jesus a hand clap, an ovation of praise. If you're thankful for him, thank you, Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. From the beginning, from the offset, as we were studying, as I was studying this passage of Scripture, what stood out to me was this, from the beginning, was the fact that the Scripture says that sinners would often come and listen to Jesus teach. And these weren't any ordinary sinners. The Scripture actually calls them notorious sinners. People knew they were bad. People knew that they were doing wrong, and yet they still came to Jesus. Can you imagine for a second? Can you imagine tax collectors, thieves, thugs, rebels, even prostitutes coming to listen and sit with and eat with and converse with Jesus, the lowest people in that society during that time? It was as if there was something about Jesus that was different than anything they had, they had experienced that the world had to offer, and they were drawn to Jesus because of it. Notice how they were not drawn to the Pharisees or religious leaders. Probably because every time they were around them, they were probably shamed and shunned and told everything that they did wrong, right? But no, they were drawn to Jesus. So much so that it actually began to upset and aggravate the Pharisees and religious leaders because they couldn't understand or comprehend how and why Jesus would associate and spend time with and surround himself with such a mixed group of people rather than all those that had their act together. But notice how the scripture says that Jesus would sit with sinners. It didn't say that he would sin with sinners. He influenced them. It wasn't the other way around. And I'm sure they could feel, can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the visible image of an invisible God, the Messiah, the Christ. When he came, he sat down with all these different groups of people. And I'm sure they could feel the love and compassion that he had. For Has anybody ever felt the love and compassion of God? Has anybody ever tasted and seen the goodness of God before in your life? But here's what you need to understand. At the same time, Jesus knew who he was, and he knew what he was called to do, and he came to seek and save that which was lost. And in a similar way, we need to know as believers, as children of God, we need to understand and know our identity in Christ. 
and the responsibility that we have as representatives of the kingdom of God, where we as ambassadors, you know what we're called to do? We are called to point the lost as the salt and light of this world back to Jesus Christ. Why? Because we understand that we were once lost as well. We understand that we were once in the dark. We were in the miry pit, but thank God one day he found us. Thank God he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank God he came to seek and save the lost. Is anybody here thankful for a God that came to seek and save the lost? And y'all, that's the gospel. The gospel is not about man or us getting to God. It's really about God coming to us. It's not about us striving and straining our way into the kingdom of God. It's about the king and the kingdom coming down and stretching out his arm and reaching out to us. And that right there, that's the theme that we see within these stories. You know what these stories are about? The lost being found. You know, it's been said before that these three stories really aren't three distinct or separate stories, but actually one story with three different parts, which is why Jesus told them back to back in one sitting the way that he did to illustrate, the scripture says, the point further. And why was he doing this? Because he was responding to the criticism that he was facing for receiving and reaching out to sinners. So he tells this story with three parts. The the first part being about a lost sheep. The second part being about a lost silver coin. And the third part being about a lost son. And I want to break these down for you real quick so you can see it. If we had to say it another way, we could say it like this, that the sheep dealt with one out of 100, the lost silver coin dealt with one out of 10, and the lost son dealt with one out of two. And he did it in that order. Can I tell you, you serve a God of intentionality, that he doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't do things accidentally, like, oh, that was cool, I just made it like that, I wasn't trying to do that. No, Jesus, he was intentional with the way he conveyed these stories and the specific way that he conveyed it. And I believe what Jesus was trying to say, even when it came to this ratio, was because he wants us and he wanted the people listening to understand that no matter the person, no matter the ratio, no matter the number, no matter the circumstance or situation, he knows us by name and he's going to reach out and he's actively seeking and searching and longing and desiring for that which is lost. Come on, is anybody thankful for that today? Think about this for a second. Even the setting for each one of these parables were genius for Jesus, because think about this. There were many people listening to him. People would come and, and, and they, would, they would be drawn to him. I'm sure they heard about the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the amazing things that took place. They said, you got to hear that guy. Sometimes I hear him tell stories. I don't know what he's talking about, but it's good. You got to go listen to it. I'm telling you what. Like, you know, man, he's, he's doing amazing. And they go to him. And Jesus, when he's confronted by the Pharisees and he knew that they were in the presence, you know what he does? He tells these three stories, these three stories, guess what, that would relate to everybody in that room in a unique 
way. Think about this for a second. Even when it came to the parable, put that slide back up, one out of ten. One, there we go. The sheep, when it came to the parable of the lost sheep, speaking of a shepherd and the lost sheep, can you imagine shepherds, different men in that place? Like, oh, I know what he's talking about that, right? One out of 100. And then he talks about the woman and the lost silver coin, which would have really resonated with the woman during that time. Because let me remind you, Jesus also had followers and disciples of his that were women as well. Like Mary Magdalene and Martha. In fact, you'll discover that some of Jesus' most prominent and faithful funders and supporters for his ministry were actually women. Shout out to all the women of God in the building this Sunday morning, by the way. And then the lost son dealt with the family, the family dynamic that the mothers and the fathers, the sons and the daughters, the young and the old that heard this message, that heard this teaching, that heard these parables, Jesus was able to communicate to a mass group of people at the same time where they would hear it and they would say, man, I know what he's talking about. I can relate to what he's saying. The method may have changed, but the message remained the same. And if I had to break it down, if we had to break it down even more and give you more of like a, a roadmap or a blueprint of what Jesus was saying, I would show it to you kind of like this right here. That every story, we see this theme, we see this roadmap, we see this blueprint in here. First off, it starts off with isolation. Can somebody say isolation? That in every one of these parables, something or someone of value finds themselves hiding, strain, or isolating itself from the group, flock, or family. And who in your knows that isolation can be a dangerous thing? Isolation can be a dangerous thing. In fact, I think the enemy will do whatever he can to isolate, to separate, and divide people from God and even the family of God. Why? Because he knows when we are isolated, we are more vulnerable to attack. Like that sheep. Can you imagine that sheep just left? He left the shepherd, or he or she, whatever. The sheep left the shepherd, the, the, the protection, the rod and your staff, they cover me. It left, and it became vulnerable. Can I tell somebody something today? That you were not designed to do life alone. That God wants you to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is calling you out by name. He is searching and longing for you. That there are no lone ranger Christians. We can't even forget about the gathering of the saints. And this is why I'm so thankful for God. Because he said this. He said, like Pastor Bobby said earlier, right? He said this, destroy this temple, and on three days, I will raise it back up again, speaking to himself, the body. But guess what? You are also the body of Christ as well, the hands and the feet. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus, guess what that means? Now you've been brought into the fold, and on this Pentecost Sunday, I wish we can just thank God for his spirit and presence that inhabits us and lives in us no matter where we go. He didn't come to leave you as an orphan. You were called to do life with him, to do life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The problem in these parables began when the lost sheep, lost silver coin, and lost son 
found themselves isolated, representing being far away from God. But the second thing we see is this, exploration. Can somebody say exploration? So it starts off with isolation, but then we see exploration. So in each case, we see this, that the owner or caretaker was actively seeking, exploring, searching, longing, and desiring for that which was lost. Almost, almost to what seems like a fault, if we're being honest. Because get this, the scripture says that the shepherd left the 99 for the one. Now, as I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, God, you must be good at math, right? You know what I mean? Like, you're God, you know all things. Leaving 90, like, thank God I wasn't a shepherd back then during this time, right? Because if I was a shepherd watching all the sheep and everything, you know, looking at all of them and 100 sheep and one sheep went off, just like, you know what I mean, just went off and ran its way, whatever else, I would have been like, well, I would have counted my loss and been like, that was a dumb sheep. Just let it go. It's gone. I got plenty of other ones. But that's not the kind of God you serve. Because guess what? The scripture calls Jesus a shepherd, but not just any ordinary shepherd. The scripture calls Jesus the good shepherd that is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. So if it seems illogical, if it seems irrational, if it seems like it doesn't make any sense, why in the world would the shepherd leave the 99 for the one? You're probably right. But ask yourself this question. How does it make any sense? That a perfect, that a holy, that a just, that a righteous, that a self-sufficient, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God would leave a place like the corridors of heaven, step into time, take the form and posture of a servant, and lay down his life just for a chance, not even certainty, but just for a chance that some of his lost sheep would come back to him. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God that came looking for me before I ever went looking for him. He sought after me. Surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. Come on, has anybody ever been on the run from God before? Has anybody ever been away? But all of a sudden you look back and say, he's still there chasing me. Goodness and his mercies are new every single morning. He's searching. He's longing, but I love this too. Thirdly, we see this. We see a celebration, y'all. There's a party. We're, you're reading the Bible. You got that right. There's a party and celebration that takes place when that which was lost becomes found. So if you ever thought to yourself, man, just God is just so boring. I don't, I, I don't want to go because God, let me remind you, Jesus literally ends these parables, each one that speaks, with our, speaks about our salvation with a celebration. I like to tell people this. If you think that living for God is boring, you're living for him wrong. Living for God should be one of the most thrilling, exhilarating, exciting things where you wake up every day and say, God, thank you for saving my soul. Oh, God, what are we going to do today, God? I'm going to follow after you. Oh, you want to save somebody else? You do your, uh, God, I just want to follow after you. It's an amazing thing. 
Come on, does anybody have any amazing testimonies of God's goodness? It's a celebration. But if we're not careful, we can be like the older brother, y'all. Come on. Because if you read the story, the rest of the parable of the prodigal son, we'll cover more here in a second, you'll see that when the younger son comes back home, that the older son, the older brother, is so mad. In fact, when the father embraces the son that went away, they have this party, and they have this celebration. They kill the fat calf. They do all these things. And then the scripture says that the older brother was out in the field, away from the party. I can imagine just his arms crossed and everything. So upset. It's like, man, I can't believe they're having a party for him. I've been here. I've been, I, I didn't stray away like him. I, I've been here. And the father comes out, and I'm paraphrasing, says, son, what's wrong? And the son responds by saying, right, you never had a party for me, dad. You know, he, had a, he was a party pooper. He was throwing himself a pity party out there in the field by himself. I've heard it said before, a pity party is the only party where you'll find yourself by yourself many times. Throwing himself a pity party out there in the field. And the father responds by saying this, son, don't you know? That everything I have belongs to you? Because remember, he was saying this. He was saying, you killed a fattened calf for him. You never killed a goat for me. We'll get into more of that. That was like saying, you can't believe you took him to Pump House and Yamato. You take me to McDonald's and Taco Bell every day. Sometimes Chick-fil-A. Come on, thank God for God's restaurant. Chick-fil-A. Man, I'm hungry right now. Man, I wish they were open on Sundays sometimes, but they're honoring God, right? But then the father says, everything I have belongs to you. In other words, the older brother had the same opportunity. He had the same advantage. And he could have had a party and a celebration like that. He could have joined in on the fun. And what God was doing, you know who Jesus was talking to in that moment? He was speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees that were on the side. And what Jesus was trying to get them to understand is this. The same access that these sinners have to me is the same access that you have available, but you're out there on the side. You're, you're waiting around. You, you could have you had this celebration. You could have been a part. See, because here's the thing. The scripture, we call it the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. We want to go deeper. It's really about the, the lost sons. Because they were both lost in their own right. You could be living for God. You could say that you're, but we could be missing out on everything that God has for us. There's a celebration. They missed out on this because guess what Jesus said? He said this, I love it. That the reason that there was a party and the reason that there was a celebration, because someone was lost and they became found. Someone was dead and they came back to life. Someone was an orphan and they became a son and daughter of the most high God. Oh, come on, if you want to know what makes heaven erupt with praise and a party that takes place, every time a sinner comes to repentance, because sometimes we think to ourselves, man, God, you are so proud of me. I don't know if you ever thought that before. Oh, God, I didn't cuss today. I know you're clapping for me in heaven right now. I'm, look at me. I'm so righteous, so holy. Look at me, God. You know, and yeah, God, maybe, I don't, I don't know. I can't really envision it or whatever else like that, but. But you want to really want to know what makes God celebrate. The scripture says that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance than 99 that are righteous. You want to make God jump for joy? Share the gospel. Share your testimony. 
Share the good. When's the last time that we did something like that? Let's join in on the party. Come on. So it starts off with this. Isolation. Somebody say isolation. Exploration. Somebody say exploration. And celebration. Somebody say celebration. Come on. We were lost and isolated. One day God found us. And now we have a reason to celebrate. Come on. Can we go ahead and celebrate and thank God for that? I want to give you guys one point this Sunday morning. I believe that this right here is a, is a message and point that we see in all these parables in this. I want to leave you with this. You can write this down. That just because something is lost doesn't mean that it ever lost its value. Just because, listen to me, something is lost doesn't mean that it lost value. I'm talking about lost people. You know, we apply this principle to so many lost things, but we forget that the same thing could be said about people as well. I'm reminded of a true story, y'all. I just heard this past week from somebody. It was actually, in, it was in an article, a news article that was just going all over the place. All these different people were posting about it. And it was about this lady. She lives in Austin. And she ended up purchasing this statue from a good one. In fact, check it out real quick. She went to, she's, she was known for being a thrifter in Austin. Notice how it's just buckling up in that seatbelt right there, right? She was a thrifter in Austin. She went to this Goodwill one day. And when she went in this Goodwill, she saw this marble head statue. And she said, I, I, wanna, I just want to buy it. She bought it for, get this, $35. She just bought it. She strapped it in, took it home. And for four years, she had it sitting in the entryway of her home, not thinking much of it. And then one day she was thinking, just like, man, I can't scratch the feeling that there's something special about this thing. So she brought in some experts, y'all. And when she brought in these experts, they inspected the statue and everything. And they discovered that this right here was an authentic 2,000-year-old Roman artifact worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's believed, get this, it was lost during World War II, during World War II, it's believed that an American soldier, we don't, they don't know who did it, had some sticky fingers one day when they went in the museum or whatever. They, there was a collection overseas. I don't know how he stuck it. I don't know how he made it all the way to the United States. I don't, I don't know the whole story. But all we know is this, that it was lost, and this lady found it at a Goodwill in Austin, Texas, and purchased it for $35. It was lost, but who knows, it never lost its value. In fact, guess what? You could say this, its value shot up because of that story. I came to tell somebody today, whoever wants to listen, that maybe you know of somebody and you're praying for somebody that is lost and far from God. Can I remind you today that just because they are lost, doesn't mean that they ever lost their valuable value to God. God loves them and he cares for them. They're valuable to him. I don't think it's a coincidence, y'all, that one of these parables include and involve a silver coin. The middle parable, right, it involves a silver coin about this lady who lost her coin. You know, and you need to understand this. Get this. This silver coin wasn't like a quarter that we have today. No, it was not. You know what it was more like? 
more like a $100 bill. The value of it, it was like a day's wage during that time. And I know some of you, if you lost a $100 bill in your home, man, you would tear up that house. You would tear up that rug. You'd be getting on the kids. I know you messed with it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Anybody ever done that before? Has anybody ever, like, you? I know you did something and you found it in a place where you forgot it. And you have to, like, oh, gosh, should I go back and say sorry? You know what I mean? It's just like, I've been there before. That's why we got those tags everywhere, right? Those, anyways. But this, but this, this woman, she lost the coin. And she was scouring and searching the house, looking for it, sweeping, searching. You know what I mean? Like, for example, and I'm sure some of you, you would do the same thing. Like, what if I were to tell you that I lost a $100 bill, okay? If I lost a $100 bill and, and misplaced it and it was somewhere in the sanctuary, specifically if it was under one of your seats, what would you do to find it? And this is not a trick question, by the way. There is literally a $100 bill in this building taped to underneath one of your seats, and whoever is sitting on it or finds it first and brings it to me, you can have it. I'm not kidding. Check under your seat right now. I feel like Oprah right now in this moment, but you get a hundred. No, There's one. I'm being serious. Whoever finds it, $100 bill. Hey, if there's an empty seat next to you, check the empty seat next to you. I'm not kidding. Check it. Keep on looking. Every seat. There, look at y'all, man. I love it. This is awesome. We got it right here? Come on, guys. We got the $100 bill. Come on up here if you don't mind. Come on. Come on, guys. Put your hands together for her. Come on up. Awesome. Yeah, you can come on up here if you don't mind. You don't got stage fright. Hey, come on. Tell everybody your name. Katrina. This is Katrina. Everybody put your hands together for Katrina. You probably had no idea that you're going to be coming on stage today. And we have them just, I didn't know where exactly it was. But, man, I'm so happy that you came up here. But, Katrina, when it comes to this value, the value of this, this $100 bill, how, how can we tell or how can we tell the value of it? The number, right, obviously. But can I tell you also how we can tell the value of this $100 bill? By the image, the inscriptions that are on it. Specifically, Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't a president, by the way. Somebody corrected me first service. I thought he was a president. He was just an inventor. He was one of the founding fathers, right? One of the founding fathers. And if you look at other dollar bills and other coins, right, there's, there's other images of people like that statue, right? There's an image that's on there. And that's how we're able to tell the currency and the value of it. And can I tell you that even in this parable of the silver coin, that more than likely we could say that that coin, it did have an image on it of someone's face as well. Specifically, it's probably Caesar's face on it. It was a day's wage, a silver coin. And get this, did you know? That at one point in Mark chapter 12, follow me, that the Pharisees actually tried to trip Jesus up by asking him a question and saying this, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Rome? Hoping that he would either say yes or no, but in the genius of Jesus, he's so smart, y'all. You know what he asked for? He asked for them to bring him a Roman coin. And check this out. This won't take but a second, Katrina. Check this out. You're going to get this $100. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, that would be so cold. We're not going to do that to you. We're going to bless you with it. It says this. So they brought it, and he said to them, guess what? The coin, Jesus, whose what? Image and inscription is this. They said to him, who? Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Oh, you know, some of you know where we're going right now. So the way, get this. 
the way that they can distinguish and know the value and the rightful ownership of that currency was based off of the image that was on the coin. Question for you today, whose image are you made in? What image do we bear? For those that do not know, let me remind you of what the word of God says. And that's that every human being, believer, unbeliever, lost, found, every person, we are made in the image of God. And guess what that means? That means that you belong back to God. You carry his image in life. But here's what the problem is. You ready? Here's the problem. Many people think that just because they're lost, that just because they feel broken, and just because they feel dirty, that that somehow means that they lost their value to God. But Katrina, if I were to take this $100 bill and fold it up, would you still want this? You do? Yeah, I hope, so. I hope you say yes for every question, by the way. So go ahead. If I were to crinkle it up and twist it, would you still want this $100 bill? But you don't, you know, anybody know how dirty money is, by the way? Money is, so, oh, so many hands, so many registers, so many people. You don't know who had the money in your pocket? You still want this? It's on the floor. People don't, I'm just telling you right now, you don't know what those people stepped in before they came to church today. This was underneath somebody's bottom on their seat, you know, I don't know. You still, you still want, it's stuck to my shoe right now. You still want this $100 bill? Here, you can take it. We want to bless you with it. Why? Why? Because even though it is lost and even though it was stepped on and even though it went through hands, it never lost its value. Come on, Katrina, go ahead. Ah, I want to speak to somebody today. I want to speak to somebody who walked through the doors of this building of Riverside Church. Somebody may have invited you today, or you're watching online right now in this moment. I want to tell you, you may feel isolated, you may feel alone, you may feel dirty, you may feel filthy, you may feel depressed, you may feel twisted, broke, busted, and disgusted, but you carry the image of God in your life, and you belong to God. I want to speak to every mom and every dad that has a lost child and tell you, don't give up on that child. They are still valuable to God. I want to speak to every husband and wife that has a lost spouse and tell you, they are still valuable to God. Your co-worker, your friends, your neighbors, they are valuable to God. Hallelujah. Come on, stand to your feet, everybody. They are valuable to God. There's so much more. I had more in this sermon right now, too. They are valuable. Just because something is lost doesn't mean that they ever lost its value. I think a perfect example of this is the parable of the prodigal son, right? Think about this for just a second. Because right now God's moving on somebody's heart. God's stirring something up. And today is the day of salvation. 
Today is the day of salvation. Not going back, but saying today I give my life to you. Does that mean you're not going to make a mistake? Does that mean you're not going to fail or fall short? No, we all, what? Fall short of the glory of God. You know when Jesus called Peter? One of the most influential disciples, Peter, the same Peter that Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know what Peter told Jesus whenever Jesus called him? He got down and he said, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. But Jesus said, no, come on up. Follow after me. I don't care what you may have think you've done and how far you feel like you've gone. You are still valuable to me. I came to give my life as a ransom for me. He paid. The, you want to know how you can tell the value of something? By the price that someone is willing to pay. Your salvation, your freedom, and your deliverance was paid ahead of time by what Christ did on the cross. And we read the beginning of the story a second ago. But when you look at the parable of the prodigal son, we find him, he leaves his father. He asks for his inheritance early. That would have been just like saying, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my money and I'm gone. He spends all of his money on sinful living. A famine breaks out. He finds himself alone and dirty and messed up in the pig's pen with the pigs, and even the food that the pigs were eating, look at, and for people that heard Jesus tell this story, they probably would have gasped. You know why? Because the Jewish people especially, pigs were unclean, filthy animals. They wouldn't even eat a pig, more or less raise them. He's at the bottom. But then he has this thought, maybe if I make my way back to my father's house, maybe, just maybe, he'll accept me as a servant. Oh, he won't accept me as a son. Look, look what I've done. I've made a mistake. I've fallen short. I, I've done things my own way. And as he's going back to the father, the, the, the father does something unthinkable. You know what the father, who's a representation of God, did? He runs to his son when he sees him off in a distance. And it's been said before, even the fact that he ran was seen as something shameful for men during that time. But he didn't care about that. He ran to his son. He embraced him with love and compassion. He put a ring on his finger. He put the finest robe on him. He put sandals on his feet. They killed the fattened calf. The fattened calf, which was something that was for a special occasion to sacrifice and honor and worship God. He said, this right here is a special occasion. That cow that we've been preparing, we're going to take care of it. Now. We're going to have this celebration. I love how this, I love how the father didn't like see him off in the distance and pull out the chancla. I love how the father didn't tell the son, oh, I can't put this robe on you until you clean yourself up. You've been with the pigs. You've done this and that. You betrayed. He didn't send him off and say, you got to spend 10 days outside the, the house. He welcomed him. And see, some people, you know what happens? Some people, they have the wrong mindset. They got it backwards because they say things like this. Oh, I'll go to God. I'll go to church. I'll start living for him. But first, I got to get myself cleaned up. I got to take some, take care of some loose ends and what, if, what about what other people think? They know what I did. They know that I failed. What are they going to think? 
But the Father doesn't do any of that. Who's thankful there's no condemnation that for those that are in Christ Jesus? See, you don't go to God and clean yourself up first. No, 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 no. If you have that mindset, you're never going to come. But you go to God because he's the only one that can clean you up, make you into a new creation. He's the only one that can make us into a new creation. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We go from death to life. So right now in this moment, I just feel led by God right now to give somebody an invitation. Whether here in the building or watch online, I want to let you know you're valuable. You are an image bearer of the most high God. The image of God may have been defaced. It's never been erased. It's time to come to him. Jesus said, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the what? World that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything you need can be found in him. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give somebody an invitation right now to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Even if it's for the one person that's in the building this Sunday morning, he's the God that leaves the 99 for the one. The Bible says when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, that you shall be saved. So right now in your way, say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, I repent. Lord God, forgive me for doing things my own way. God, I turn to you today, God. Lead me and direct me, God. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. Come on, if you prayed this prayer before, pray it like it's your first time. Say, God, I believe in who you are. Jesus, I believe that you died. I believe that you rose. I accept the gift of salvation, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling me valuable. Even though I was lost, I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe that and receive that, can somebody say amen? Amen.